G'day, and welcome to another edition of Stick Together, bringing you union news, workers' stories, and discussion on social justice issues. Stick Together is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR and broadcast right around the nation on the Community Radio Network. I'm Matt Conkle. This week on the show, we speak with SA Union Secretary Joe Sockarch about the South Australian Labor Party's election pledge to make wage theft and the non-payment of superannuation a criminal offence. We also speak with hospitality worker and hospo voice activist Kim about the real-world effects of wage theft and what steps hospitality workers are taking to fight back. But first, some union news. The National Australia Bank has announced that it has commenced its sweeping restructure and that 1,000 workers will soon be without jobs. The move is part of a wider plan announced last November to sack 6,000 workers. This number represents more than one in six of the bank's full-time equivalent staff. These first job cuts come just after reports that the bank's profit rose by 3% in the last quarter, putting it on track to make a profit of more than $6 billion this financial year. The Finance Sector Union's National Secretary, Julia Angrisano, said NAB's profit meant that it was in a position to minimise retrenchments and maximise redeployments, and that the program to cut these jobs does not meet community expectations. Big business has been agitating for further cuts in the corporate tax rate, saying that it would be a good thing for workers, that somehow greater profits of companies will lead to improved wages and an increased numbers of jobs. Yet the move by the National Australia Bank to cut jobs as its profits are on the rise are one of the funnest examples that trickle-down economics is just a myth. The New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern has released the previously secret text of the second iteration of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. The so-called Comprehensive Progressive Trans-Pacific Partnership is said to be signed by 11 nations, who recommenced negotiations after President Trump pulled the United States out of the original round. The Australian Fair Trade and Investment Network, also known as AFTINET, report that the text of the CPTPP is largely unchanged from the original TPP. Campaigners warn that this deal will be bad for workers, bad for the environment, and undermine government's rights to legislate in the public interest. The deal still includes the controversial provisions that would allow foreign businesses to sue governments if they were to pass legislation that could be considered to limit or damage their profits. Such provisions have been used against the government of Egypt by multinational company Viola, who argued that the government's moves to increase the minimum wage would limit their profits. The deal will also allow companies to bring in temporary migrant workers for projects without first testing the local job market. Unions fear that these workers will be exploited in a similar fashion to the widespread abuses of workers entering the country on 457 visas. Negotiated in secret, this agreement is less about free trade and more about entrenching the power of corporations. The Australian government plans to sign this agreement in Chile on the 8th of March this year. For more information, head to the AFTINET website at www.aftinet.org.au. The Maritime Union of Australia are now facing contempt of court charges arising out of the two-week picket at the Melbourne port. The picket was set up to protest the unfair sacking of a union activist at international stevedoring company ICTSI, or VICT as they're known in Victoria. It is alleged that Victorian State Secretary Joe Italia, West Australian Secretary Christy Kane, and Assistant Deputy National Secretary Will Tracy marched to the gates of the terminal despite court orders to remain at least 100 metres from the protest camp. In a separate case, the terminal operators are suing the MUA, 
alleging up to $100 million in damages arising from the picket. The contempt action comes more than two months after the completion of the protest and appears that it may have a political edge to its timing. Far-right boss unions, the Australian Mines and Metals Association and the Master Builders Association are seeking to exploit the contempt charges and frustrate the proposed union amalgamation between the MUA, the CFMEU and the Textile Clothing and Footwear Union. Employer groups are terrified of the combined might of the three unions and are leaving no stone unturned in their attempts to prevent the merger. Lawyers for the employers group have sent a letter to the Fair Work Commission arguing that these new contempt of court charges must be the subject of a hearing. Lawyers for the union have responded, claiming that these issues have nothing to do with whether or not the three unions should be allowed to amalgamate. But the process further delays the amalgamation proceedings and the Commission will hear further submissions on the issue. The Victorian branch of the Transport Workers Union have secured a victory in their ongoing campaign to safeguard jobs at airline catering company Donata. Two weeks ago, the company declared that it would be making large job cuts as a result of losing the contract to provide catering services to Virgin Airlines. The company had made threats of widespread compulsory redundancies of affected roles. The union was outraged as it was reported that threats had been made that the company would shed permanent jobs and instead retain lower paid labour hire staff in their place. After negotiations, the company has agreed to a voluntary redundancy scheme, which will allow workers from outside the affected areas to leave if they wish and will put further limits on the company's ability to hire and use labour hire casuals. The union indicates that it will also allow workers whose roles are affected by the loss of contract to be redeployed to other areas of the business. In sad news, pioneering equal pay campaigner Zelda DiPrano passed away last week at the age of 90. The red flag at Melbourne's Trades Hall flew at half-mast as the movement mourned the loss of one of its most colourful and passionate fighters. Growing up in what were then the slums of Carlton, she left school at 14 and worked in factories, where her struggle for wage equity for women began. She was fired from a series of jobs for agitating for wage equity. She then went on to work as a dental nurse and became a shop steward with the Hospital Employees Federation, before becoming a clerk at the Meat Workers Union. At times, Zelda was forced to struggle not only against the bosses, but against the chauvinism prevalent in the male-dominated trade union movement. Zelda famously chained herself to the Commonwealth Arbitration Building in 1969, protesting its dismissal of an equal pay case. She would often recollect the story about how, when the police were cutting her off the Arbitration Building, they asked, aren't you embarrassed? You're here all by yourself. To which she replied, it might be me here by myself this week, but next week there'll be two, the following week four and eight and so on. The following week, she again chained herself to the court, this time joined by two other women. Alva Geike and Thelma Solomon. The three went on to establish the Women's Action Committee and the Women's Liberation Centre, and it was the Women's Action Committee which organised Melbourne's first pro-choice rally in 1975. Zelda continued to be active in the campaign for wage equity, speaking at a major rally during the Australian Services Union Equal Pay Case in 2011. And in 2016, a group of early childhood educators, inspired by Zelda, chained themselves to the Prime Minister's office, demanding equal pay. While Zelda may no longer be with us, her monument is her work, and the new generation of unionists eager to take up her fight. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. Broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network.
Wage theft is the practice of bosses paying their workers less than the minimum legal entitlements. This may take many forms and includes such things as flat rates, regardless of hours worked, unpaid or undervalued overtime, and the non-payment of superannuation. Increasingly, we are seeing business models, particularly at large franchises, which rely on the theft of entitlements to drive up profits. A series of high-profile cases of wage theft have led to growing calls for politicians to do something about it. Unions have argued that if the tables were turned, workers would be prosecuted for stealing from their bosses. So why shouldn't bosses face the same punishment? With a state election looming in South Australia, Labor Premier Jay Weatherall has announced that if re-elected, they would create a new criminal offence for employers who recklessly or deliberately underpay their workers or fail to pay superannuation. To tell us more, joining us now on the phone is Joe Sockarch, the Secretary of SA Unions, the peak council of unions in South Australia. We've been really pleased to receive an election commitment from um, the RLP uh, that they will be, um, in the event that they're re-elected, introducing a new criminal offence of wage theft. And, and that is in, in absolutely no small part because of the work that unions have been doing, not only here in South Australia, but also as part of our National Change the Rules campaign that's really brought to the attention of, of those in power that wage theft is a huge problem for working people and that we, we really need our governments to stand up and do whatever is required and everything that's necessary um, to stop workers' wages being stolen. And of course, these are criminal penalties. So all of our existing industrial law where there are um, pecuniary penalties available um, against employers are still available. And we think that there will be... Um, Unions uh, will be continuing that exceptional work in that space. It was only a couple of weeks ago that the CEPU here in South Australia, on behalf of uh, a number of their electrician members were able to achieve um, over $160,000 in personal penalties against um, boss that was uh, ripping them off. So we think that's going to continue. Um, what this will do is add that really strong criminal element uh, to, to what is uh, a, a terrible, terrible business practice by, by so many bosses franchise uh, owners and so on. We've seen that bosses and conservatives are increasingly using criminal action or trying to criminalise the activity of trade union officials. So in Victoria, for example, we've seen the CFMEU leaders targeted with blackmail, um, charge, trumped up blackmail charges, and they're using this to try and bust us. Do you have any concern about the further introduction of criminal offences into the industrial sphere? No, we don't. We don't, not at all, because uh, wage theft is a crime of dishonesty. Empl we, we think that employers that fraudulently cook the books should be, should be penalised in the same way that white-collar fraud crime is. Uh, we think that bosses who steal the wages of working people, be it um, take-home pay or superannuation, should be treated in the same way that an employee would if they were stealing the, um, the profits or the till of their employer. So we think there's a really clear distinction here, and that is that we've never been afraid of, as unions, to steps necessary to protect working people, and nor have the Tories and the Conservatives been shy in the way that they try to cook up royal commissions and, and criminal charges against union people, union officials and union members for simply standing up for working people. But what we think is absolutely necessary in all of this is that there is still a uh, federal... Uh, solution through the Change the Rules campaign and Change the Rules agenda um, to stopping um, and allowing remedies for wage theft mm -hmm. uh, at a national level. Because a criminal offence is one thing, but I'll be frank with you, that doesn't mean that um, that will enable one single employee who is um, suffering from wage theft uh, to be recouping their wages if they're underpaid. 
We know that many employers will phoenix their businesses, will never comply with court orders. So we need uh, industrial solutions to seek those direct remedies for working people. What this will do, what this criminal offence will do, will try to do the best that the law can to persuade and prevent wage theft from happening in the first place. And I do, I do want to pick up on what you've just said about industrial remedies because historically wage theft and the non-adherence to other work entitlements would have been resolved on the shop floor through collective action like strikes or sit-ins or go-slows um, or whatever. What does the need to introduce an offence like this kind of tell us about where our movement's at in, in far as our ability to enforce these entitlements industrially? Well, it shows that the, the, the rules are broken. There's no, there's no doubt about that. But also that the system operates in such an unfair way to reflect and support and, and, and in fact, grow the interests of, of business. This has become a, um, a necessity. Um, wage theft criminal offence has become a necessity because we're seeing so many bosses that actually get orders against them in courts simply not comply. I mentioned a little, a little while ago that um, there was $160,000-odd of penalties um, awarded against a, a dodgy boss for wage theft. Um, but that was on the back of um, more than 12 months of court action where they simply disregarded every order made against them. They didn't participate. And the other orders about um, recouping wages for those workers still are not being complied with. And the advice that I get from those workers' union is that they will unlikely be complied with. So we need industrial remedies as a shop floor because the rules are broken and we need, we need better access for, for workers to be able to exercise power and give workers power and that is through um, collective means, that's through better um, access and justice to strike action. It's also about preventing um, bosses from um, organising against workers in such a way that they undercut basic award entitlements. This is just simply one small cog that turns in a, in a very um, big suite of solutions that have to be achieved for working people. And Joe, this is a promise that's been made in the throes of an election campaign over there. How have the other parties responded to the Labor Party's announcement? Yeah, so we're, we're really pleased to see that the Greens have um, immediately said that they will support this initiative. And we've heard nothing from the Liberals and nothing from... SA Best, who is Nick Xenophon's new party here. And, and we think that the Liberals' track record is pretty clear when it comes to where they stand. Uh, but we're also really concerned about um, Nick Xenophon and what he's um, going to do around this, particularly because he says one thing and does something completely different. You know, Nick's, Nick Xenophon's the guy that says that he stands up for the little guy and stands up for safety at work and then votes with Malcolm Turnbull to introduce the ABCC and the Registered Organisations Commission. There seems to be one rule for the bosses and one rule for us, um, and we very rarely see bosses actually going to jail for things that they probably should go to jail for. What will make this different? What, what do you think is actually going to happen with these bosses? Will some spend time in jail, or will this just be about um, creating a level of deterrence that hasn't been there before? Well, I think that there's, there's twofold to that. I think the first of which is that um, this announcement that's been made is one of um, a series of announcements that impose uh, criminal jail time on employers who do the wrong thing. The other major announcement that the ALP have made is around industrial manslaughter, which will see bosses who negligently or recklessly cause the death of a worker face jail time, and that's really important. So I think the first and, for first and foremost, there needs to be a commitment from government to recognise or any government to recognise that there are certain actions that employers undertake um, that are so reckless and negligent that they can only face jail time. 
the, the, the second part of that is that there is no doubt that when it comes to prosecuting these things, we need both a prosecutorial regime and an inspectorate regime that is uh, well-funded and resourced to actually identify these issues in the first place. Joe, thanks very much for your time on Stick Together. Thanks, Matt. You're listening to Stick Together, broadcast right around the country on the Community Radio Network. The issue of wage theft has been increasingly present in media reports, and particularly after the high-profile case at 7-Eleven. As momentum grows in the campaign to combat wage theft, more and more workers are finding their voice. One such worker is Kim, who is a hospitality worker and an activist with the union Hospo Voice. Thanks for joining us, Kim. No worries. You've got an experience of wage theft. Can you tell us your story? Sure. Um, So I work in a cafe in Richmond. Um, I've been there since January 2017 and I've been paid under award and without penalty rates since I started and wasn't paid for my trial to get the job either. How much under the award are you being paid? Uh, So I was paid $17.70 an hour for the first six months I was there and then from I think August last year it was up to $18.50. What should you be getting paid for the work that you're doing? Uh, So because I'm casually employed, it should be up to about 24 an hour um, as a casual rate. And obviously that goes up to 29 on weekends, on Saturdays and Sundays. And then it should be double that on uh, public holidays. What does missing out on your rightful entitlements mean for the rest of your life? Um, It absolutely has an impact. Um, It means that... From week to week, I'm living from paycheck to paycheck, essentially. And it's basically uh, during the week, it means that when I'm buying things, whether I'm buying food or paying bills, I'm putting aside money for rent. It's like a kind of, it's a trade-off between what I need, what I would like to buy, um, whether I actually want to save so I have a financial backup if something happens. I can't afford to really get sick because that directly impact, impacts on my income. And then through that, I guess, comes the like social isolation of not really wanting to, of feeling like I can't go out as much because I just don't have the money to, especially days before I get paid. Like I might just be hanging out at home on my days off, not doing too much because I can't really afford to do anything. I don't plan on working in hospitality forever. And ideally, if I was being paid penalty rates and award, I'd be able to work less so I could have time to apply for other jobs and like pursue other avenues. But yeah, that obviously isn't open to me. And what type of things does your boss say to justify paying you the rates of pay that they pay you? So, when I first raised the issue, I'd only been working there a couple of weeks when I received my first paycheck, realised that it was well below what I had expected. Basically, it was I was told I could discuss it with the owner-manager, but the way that was said it was made to sound as though if I had discussed it with them, it was going to be a, you either lump it or leave it, basically. Like, you can find find somewhere else to work if you don't like what you're being paid. And so, also, there's a whole culture of silence on many pe- on people in the workplace not knowing what other people are being paid. Also, there's cash in hand, so you don't know what those people are being paid in the workplace. It's difficult to raise the issues as well because you're in such a financially fraught situation. You don't want to lose the job. Do you think the bosses use this fear and this insecurity intentionally to to keep people in their place effectively? I think so. And I think they also rely on people not knowing what they should be paid. They rely on people being unaware of the award, especially in terms of backpackers, um, international students on visas. Um, They rely on people not knowing what they should be paid and then, yeah, playing off that fear of people asking. 
And you mentioned cash jobs, um, and there's a real problem where you know people feel like if they get cash, it's okay to take less than the minimum wage. But there are all those issues about if you're injured at work on a cash job, like, do you have workers' compensation? The tax people can still come chasing you for all that that cash money. But one of the things is it creates a new normal for wages. So I, a few years back, it would have been fifteen dollars an hour was the kind of the hospitality norm, despite it being below the award. Do you see a lot of this cash work in hospitality, and is it still is it used in that way? Is it used to to really maintain that undercutting of the award? Yes, I've worked um, cash and hand jobs in the past. It was definitely below award wage. It's used for people who are really desperate for ca- who are desperate for money. It's used to basically. Yeah, keep them off the books so they have no rights at all. It also means that people can't chase up the money that they're owed later on because there's no record of them working there. It's um, it's really difficult for people being paid in cash to fight for their rights, basically. So, Kim, you're being underpaid. Are you getting pay slips that show yes, that you're being underpaid? I get sent pay slips every week that show my hours, the super, and the the rate that I'm being paid. Yeah, and with tax and everything. I think. It's just because there's no repercussions. There's no real repercussions. If they get caught, the only thing they have to do in Victoria at the moment is pay you back if they get discovered. So, it's not like there's any real consequences for not doing the right thing. Do you think, for example, bosses know that they're underpaying or is it just that many bosses come from the industry themselves and it's just the norm that they've come up with as hospitality workers? So, is ignorance actually a defence in this industry? No. I don't think there's a defense for it at all. I think a lot of people who work, who own cafes, I think own more than one cafe. And I also don't think you can own a cafe and not know that there's penalty rates. Any Anyone who doesn't work in hospi- hospitality knows that there's penalty rates and award wages. They might not be certain on what they are, but they certainly know they exist. So, in those circumstances, you're getting written evidence from bosses that they're underpaying you and yes. almost knowing knowingly so. Yes. What makes you stay somewhere? where you know the boss is stealing from you? It's not that I haven't applied for other jobs while I've been working there. It's, I don't want to say it's uh, almost like Stockholm Syndrome, but you get used to it. You also know that because it's endemic, you're not, like, the chances of me finding somewhere else that are going to pay me better aren't as high as I would like. Plus, you make friends at your workplace. Like you feel you feel comfortable, um, even if management management might be difficult. Um, you do get used to it. Scarily, mm. I've got a lot of friends who work in hospitality who are all paid below award. I don't know. Think I don't think I know many friends, if any, that are in hospitality that are paid penalty rates and award wage. I also obviously sexual assault is such a and harassment is such a huge part of the culture and working in hospitality. Um, Luckily, I, I haven't experienced that, but obviously even looking at websites like Rate My Boss and seeing the kinds of stories that people are sharing, um, it's obviously just endemic in the industry. The website you just mentioned, Rate My Boss, is a new initiative from Hospo Voice. Can you tell us a bit a bit more about how that, that website works? Yeah, so it's a website that you can go on and it's anonymous and you just leave reviews of places that you've worked at in terms of the culture of the workplace, like what it's like to work there and also what, how you're being paid, how you would rate that. And it's just the two criteria out of five stars. And then you can leave a short written review as well if you, if you like. Look, workers' greatest power has always been taking action collectively. What do you think workers can do to fight back against wage theft? I think individually you can just keep, if you're experiencing wage theft, you can just keep records, make sure that 
you just keep as detailed notes as you can on the hours that you're working, the rate that you're being paid, the jobs that you're doing, because that can also affect your award. Um, and also, I think, to seek out the union, like to volunteer your time, um, to get involved, to hear other people's stories. I think it's, um, it's just so important. What type of union action do you think it takes in this day and age to, to really end this scourge? Um, I think I think things like Rate My Boss are such powerful tools. They're easily shared. They're easily accessed, especially because 50% of HOSPO workers are, are under the age of 24. Um, we're all on the internet. Um, I think that's that's a really important tool. But I also really think it's important to like have bodies out there doing things in the real world as well and like seeing so people can see and like see and hear these stories as well. We've heard that in South Australia, the Labor government has said that they would make wage theft a crime if it was re-elected. And we've seen pushes for similar laws to be put in place around the country. What's your view on that? I think I think it would be I think it would be a good thing. It's um it's so endemic in hospitality. I think that the people that the employers that are getting away with this, there needs to be consequences because obviously it's not actually because it's not criminalized at the moment, there's no real there's no incentive to do the right thing, I guess. It's easy to get away with it. So I think it's a it's a good start, but I like that I think it's important that we keep hearing these stories about workers and sharing those and making sure that it's um, the right laws, I guess, are put in place with workers in mind. Can you tell us a little bit more about Hospo Voice? Yeah. Um, so I got involved, I saw them on Facebook um, when I was, uh, and obviously still in my current job, experiencing wage theft. It was something that really resonated with me. Um, so I went along to a few meetings at the start. So there's been actions, planned protests in the city. Obviously the launch of Rate My Boss um, has happened as well. And there's a whole like range of exciting things, things that are planned during the year, like in terms of getting more volunteers involved and helping out people that are experiencing wage theft that don't know where to turn. And what can people do if they are working in the hospitality industry and want to get more involved? Uh, so I guess you can look up the union. Um, so Hospo Voice, you could look at the websites. There's plenty of information on the Facebook page as well. Yeah, there's. it's pretty easy to get involved. Yeah, and pe- the people are great. They're very welcoming. Kim, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. Well, that's all we have time for on this week's show. Thanks to Joe and Kim for joining us. If you'd like to check out the website that Kim was speaking about, you can visit it at www.ratemyboss.org.au. And if you're a hospitality worker, you can find out more about the union by searching Hospo Voice on Facebook. Stick Together is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR and broadcast right around the country on the Community Radio Network. This show receives financial support from the Community Broadcasting Federation. But if you want to do your bit to help keep workers' stories on the air, call your local community radio station and subscribe today. The podcast of this and other recent episodes can be found on our website, www.3cr.org.au forward slash stick together. And you can also subscribe to us on iTunes. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can call us on 03 9419 8377 or email us at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. You can also connect with us on Facebook. Just search Stick Together Program. We'd love to get your feedback. Finally, remember, no matter who you are or what you do, there is a union for you. I'm Matt Kunkel. Until next time, stick together.